So this is a continuation of chapter one, but we're going to talk about scientific inquiry this time. So this, like the previous section, goes over some of the slides that we talked about in class. So the scientific method, it's step one is to ask a question. Step two is to state a hypothesis. Step three is to conduct an experiment. Four is to analyze the results. And five is to make a conclusion. Now, I'm on slide four now. The scientific method uses if-then logic. That means if A happens, then B will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. So the hypothesis, here's a lot of people get confused on this, the difference between a hypothesis and a theory. A hypothesis isn't just an educated guess. I mean, that's the first thing people pop out of their mouth when they say, was a hypothesis an educated guess? But few people actually know what this means. A better answer to what is a hypothesis is that it's an answer on trial. It's not known if this is the answer. We have to prove that it is or isn't the answer. So it's through trial and error, and it uses deductive reasoning. So it goes from very, very general to very specific. And over time, a hypothesis gains credibility by surviving attempts to, falsi to falsify it. So if a hypothesis, which is an answer on trial, consistently stands up to the test over time, to the tests over time, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of experiments, then it can become what's called a theory. Now, a theory is an explanation for something that is naturally occurring in our universe. And it's supported by a large body of evidence. So when somebody says something is just a theory, it's not just a theory. It's supported by an immense amount of evidence. There's a lot of facts and a lot of things that have um, withstood the test of time that back it up. Gravity. When somebody, somebody doesn't say, well, gravity is just a theory. Well, the thing is, is gravity is the explanation for the reason why things fall to the ground when we let them go. We know things fall to the ground. What's the explanation for that? There's this force that we're going to call gravity that's related to the mass of um, an object. A larger a mass, a larger an object is, the more gravity it has. The moon is smaller, so it has less gravity. Our Earth is bigger, so it has more gravity. So that's what we use to explain the reason why things fall to the Earth. People say, well, evolution is just a theory. But the thing is, organisms adapt and change over time. So the question that we asked was, why do organisms adapt and change over time? The answer is evolution through natural selection. That's what we have as our theory, and it's supported by a large body of evidence. So it's never just a theory. There's much more weight involved with a theory, and a hypothesis is a possible answer. It's not a definitive one. So let's talk about, flop over to um, a controlled experiment. This is slide number 11. So what we want to talk about here is scientists don't necessarily control everything involved in an experiment. But what you have is a control group. And it removes the unwanted variables, not by eliminating them, 
but by canceling out their effects. For instance, if you're testing the effects of fertilizer on um, a group of plants, you will have a control group where you have the same amount of soil, the same amount of water, and the same amount of sunlight. And then you will have your experimental group that has just like the control group, the same amount of soil, the same amount of water, and the same amount of sunlight, but you're adding the fertilizer. So in the event that something happens, because things don't always go right in an experiment, and there's a drought, what if there's a drought and there's not enough water and the plants shrivel up with your group that's the fertilizer group? Well, if the plants shrivel up in the control group, then you know that it's not the fertilizer that caused those plants to shrivel up. It's something else. And if there was a drought, then it's probably due to the lack of water. So that's why control groups are important. They don't get rid of those unwanted things that happen, but you know that your fertilizer in this case did not cause those plants to shrivel up. So you can start again. Um, there's types of data. There's qualitative and quantitative. Qualitative are recorded descriptions. For instance, if you have a test tube of solution, you could say the solution is green. Quantitative is the numerical measurement, how much solution is there. You could say there's 30 micrograms of chlorophyll. So qualitative is a recorded description. Quantitative is how much. Now, independent variable versus dependent variable. Now, we can talk about, we talked about the controlled experiment. Now, in regards to the land that had the fertilizer, the independent variable is the stimulus in an experiment. The dependent variable is the response. You remember we've talked about in the past, um, organisms respond to a stimulus. Well, in an experiment, the stimulus is trying to get a response. So it's the measurable response. So we're looking at this um, fertilizer situation. What are we measuring in regards to this experiment? Plant growth. That is the dependent variable. What is causing this plant growth or lack thereof? Fertilizer. That's the independent variable. That's how you deal with stimulus and response. Now, um, I want to talk about, really briefly, I brought this up in class, really briefly, um, I used an example in regards to an experiment. I said, okay, for the next five seconds, I'm going to use my awesome brain powers and prevent ninjas from breaking into this classroom. Now, I want you to think about what is wrong with this experiment. Can we accurately determine and measure my brain power ability to stop ninjas. I mean, truthfully, there's, there's not really a measurable device because this isn't something that naturally occurs on this planet. I would be the only person in the world that would make that claim. Now, if other people can make that claim and they're able to measure it, then yes, we could definitively prove that I'm using my brain to stop ninjas. But here's the other thing, causation and correlation. So, just because something's correlated does not mean it is caused by it. So I could sit here and say, see, look, I stopped ninjas from breaking into this classroom with my awesome brain powers. Well, there could be other reasons why ninjas didn't come barreling into this classroom. Number one, there may be no ninjas in the area. Two, we don't really regularly hear about ninjas breaking into classrooms in the news. So it's not really causing that. Just because you think things are correlated 
does not mean that they're caused by that. So that's causation and correlation. Um, me and my awesome brain powers have nothing to do with ninjas not breaking into this classroom. And we can't truly test that. So that is not a very um, conceivable type of experiment. So it has to be something that has to be measured, that can be measured. And we have to really look at it with a bit of common sense. We have to see it as, all right, there could be other factors as to why this isn't happening. So science is very important in that we, we look at this in this manner, in that it's something that we can see and can um, and or be able to test with equipment that has better capabilities than our own senses. All right, hopping back to the slides. Round number 14, data. Accuracy versus precision. Now this is very important when you're looking at a set of data or measurements. Accuracy is how close a measurement is to its true value. And precision is how close the group of measurements are to one another. Now it's important because accuracy tests the validity of your lab equipment. For instance, when I go to the doctor, I'm very keen on trying to take care of myself and being healthy, but every time I go to the doctor, it's five pounds too heavy. I weigh myself, I can weigh myself every day and know what my true weight is, but when I go to the doctor, it is always five pounds more than what I weigh and it makes me nuts. So, their scale is not accurate, but it's precise in that I always get the same measurements. It's always five pounds too much. Now. Precision is important in order to reproduce the same measurements. And it can also let you know, okay, maybe I need to tweak my scale a bit. Accuracy is also important that it tests the validity of your lab equipment. All right, let's hop over to, briefly, bias, all right? And I did give you examples in class about accuracy versus precision, and you can go back over those slides. I'm jumping over to slide 12, 21 now, and I'm talking about bias. What does it mean to be biased? Bias is to be very one-sided for a particular um, opinion or perspective. Um, and, and as a scientist, you want to ensure that your conclusion is free from a personal opinion or personal perspective. Does the data hold up your hypothesis? So what methods can scientists do to ensure that their conclusion is not biased? Um, I bring up Andrew Wakefield. This is slide 22. He falsified data leaking autism to vaccines in order to make money. Um, a vaccine company funded research, gave him money to definitively prove that a competing vaccine company's um, vac um, particular vaccines caused autism. Well, his paper was published um, and then it was later retracted. He has pretty much been kicked out of his own country. He's not welcome there anymore. He had his um, license to practice medicine removed and um, he's still, he's in the U.S. now and he's running his own racket here trying to convince people who have parents who are who have children that suffer from autism because some spectrum based autisms also have gastrointestinal disorders so he's working with a medical doctor um, they're not saying it's defended definitively proves that children are cured from autism but basically he's doing procedures cleaning out their colon charging thousands and thousands of dollars um, in order to help cure kids of autism. But since he's not really seen as a scientist anymore, 
He's just being paid consultant fees in the hopes that maybe what he's doing will cure the kids, but he makes no guarantees, and it's completely legal. Um, so here, recently, a few months ago, um, in May 2014, there was another study that showed that pu that was published showing further evidence that approximately 1.25 million children, um, it was they were tracking these children over the course, I think, of 10 years. I think it was around 10 years. Um, and they definitively show that vaccines do not cause autism. This man not only had um, fraud, basically, you know, he falsified data, but because of his um, falsification of his data, lots of children in the United States in the thousands contracted measles, mumps, or rubella and died. Um, they also passed these diseases on to elderly people, and these elderly people became very ill and some of them died. So there's moral implications. Scientists are held at a higher standard. So if they lie, if they lie and they have accepted money, um, they can, in the U.S., be brought up on fraud charges. There are moral implications involved because they are respected and they're considered experts in their field. So anytime scientists come out with new information, if they are not careful, it could mean a life or death situation, especially when we look at this um, situation with Andrew Wakefield. Um, just in, um, I think it was a few months ago, there was a scientist who came out with a paper that stated he had d developed a vaccine for HIV. About a month later, it came out that he used rabbit blood instead of human blood in order to boost his results. He, accepts, he accepted millions of dollars from the government in order to further his research to help develop this vaccine. And when it came out that he falsified data, the government is now bringing him up on fraud charges. We're not talking about petty types of fraud. We're talking millions of dollars. Scientists cannot lie because their research is being funded by the government and other sources. They're accepting money in regards to what their data says. And if they're caught lying, they can be brought up on fraud charges. So when people say that scientists have this conspiracy, that they're going around and they're lying in order to make things look like their particular perspective, they're going to be called out by the rest of the scientific community because it's highly competitive. And if they're found to lie, Nobody's ever going to fund their research again. And, you know, jail. So scientists are held at a higher standard as opposed to people who are not scientists for this reason. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities um, and a lot of potential for scientists to have huge amount of negative consequences. Not just jail, not just fraud, but also the possibility that what they say is going to affect the lives of other people. Um, so that's my little bit about bias. So wrapping things up as far as bias, results have to be reproducible by other scientists not f affiliated with you or your company. This is how you prevent your conclusion from being um, a personal opinion. You have somebody else look it over. You have other scientists check your methods, check your data to verify that this is indeed a correct conclusion. Also, with the scientific method, if your results are not reproducible, the data is considered invalid. 
Nobody could reproduce Andrew Wakefield's results, not a single scientist. And so he was called on his BS and in turn lost credibility, lost money, lost <clears throat> his license to practice medicine, and further questions are raised. Investigation into the scientist's integrity as well as possible fraud charges can and will occur. So scientists don't lie, and if they do, they're really stupid. I mean, to be quite honest, they've accepted a lot of money and they're, they're willing to ruin their career and possibly go to jail. Um, so conclusion, the scientific method is essentially a problem-solving process. It uses if this happens, then this will happen type of logic. If I pull somebody's hair, then they are gonna punch me in the throat. I don't necessarily want to come go out with that experiment to, to, to verify whether that hypothesis is correct, but that would be a hypothesis. Um, the independent variable is the stimulus. The dependent variable is the response that you measure in an experiment. Data can be measurements or descriptions. We've talked about accuracy versus precision. Accuracy is how close a measurement is to its true value. Precision is how close your measurements are together. Scientists analyze data to determine conclusions, and conclusions are free from bias as they are drawn from observations and if an experiment is reproducible to get the same data. You want people to be able to reproduce your experiment and get the same results as you. That gives your hypothesis validity. That makes it stronger. If results cannot be reproduced, then that data is considered invalid. Scientists can and will be charged with fraud for falsifying data. Therefore, it is important that other scientists are able to reproduce your results. That wraps up scientific inquiry. Um, any questions, mess, you can send me an email at mewilliams at tipton-county.com. Have a great day.